Hey, sports fans, this is Premium Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, Josh Garrison. I'm very excited about our episode tonight. We're going to be talking about Duke versus North Carolina, the battle on Tobacco Road. And I am so thrilled with the two guests I have on our show today, Alex Parker, Jacob Moore. They are both born and raised North Carolina Tar Heel fans. They bleed Carolina blue. Alex and Jacob, thank you so much for joining our show today. We're going to jump right into it. Duke versus North Carolina. We'll start with Alex. What do you think key factors of tonight's game that's going to give North Carolina the advantage? My biggest key factor, I've been thinking about this all week, offensive rebounds. Who's going to get second chance points? If it, Whoever wins that is going to win the game, in my opinion. Because both teams can rebound the ball well. Duke, obviously, a little better with the baby monster in Zion. Um, <laughs> but I think when Carolina's played their best, they've all, they've gotten offensive rebounds. i got to go with offensive rebounds. That's what my number one key. So whoever gets the most offensive boards, you think is going to get the advantage. Jacob, speaking of Zion, how does North Carolina slow down the monster that is Zion Williamson? Yeah, so looking at Zion, I mean, like, the the big thing with him is if you look at his shot chart uh, kind of throughout the season, over 75% of his shots come at the rim. Uh, so that's within about six feet or closer. Uh, so here's the thing. If you can force him to shoot outside, he is a 29% three-point shooter, uh, and his mid-range is not much better than that. He's still shooting the 30%. Uh, range there. If you can force him outside and force him to try to knock down jumpers, uh, you can stop him. But obviously, he loves to run uh, in transition, and so you, you've got one. You got to cut down on turnovers to keep him away from the rim in transition, and then two, if you take care of the ball, you've got to make sure uh, that you have him posted up down low and that you don't allow him to get underneath you. So. Great point there. If you keep him on the three-point line, just the hard part is doing exactly that, is keeping him out of the paint when he's so big and kind of has his way down there. So let's go to gut feeling for both of you. Jacob, you start. How do you how do you feel like the game's going to go tonight? What's your gut telling you? Uh, I mean, it's one of those things that obviously, you know, if you look at ESPN, they've been all over Duke all season long. I mean, just really a little bit. The season. You know, it, it's just uh, you only hear about them every five minutes. That's only slightly less often than we hear about I thought it was every three and a half. <laughs> um, you know, but the the big thing is when you look at, at Duke and North Carolina on paper, uh, you know, we're talking about their combined opponent records uh, are around, around 600. So that's the equivalent of, you know, they're playing teams that would be like nine and seven in the NFL, something like that. Um you know, and they have kind of similar resumes, obviously being from the same conference. But the big thing is the Heels were tested early. Uh, their first road game against a ranked team came on November 28th, whereas Duke's first road game against a ranked team. Now listen to this again. Duke, their first road game against a ranked team was 38 days ago on January 12th. Oh, um, and, and they actually did not play a true road game until January 8th or 9th, which was the game right before that. Uh, so, like, yes, Duke playing in Cameron Indoor is a scary thing, but they've not really had many big-time games so far this season. Um, so, gut feeling, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to about the last minute of play. 
uh, and then one team is going to have to foul to uh, you know try to get the ball back, and that's what's going to end up making the score look a little bit more lopsided. But I'll save the actual prediction for a little bit later. So you're think you're saying Duke hasn't really necessarily proven themselves through schedule wise. Uh, well, you know, and, and to be fair, you know, because I'm a very realistic fan, is uh, the Tar Heels and Duke have a very similar schedule. Um, yeah, I was. Duke, yeah, yeah. Duke's combined opponent record um, is 377 and 233. North Carolina's is 341 and 227, which translates to like a 618 and a 600 win percentage, respectively. So when you look at it that way, the schedules are pretty similar. I think the big thing is when you look at the average years of experience, so how long each player has been in college playing ball. For Duke, their average years of experience is .7, like literally less than a year because of all the freshmen they have, whereas North Carolina, their average years of experience is almost two years. It's at 1.9. So that's, that's almost three times as long that North Carolina has as far as experience than Duke. Okay, so Alex, kind of going off of what Jacob's saying, what is your gut feeling? What are you feeling tonight as a big North Carolina fan? How do you think this game's going to go down? Well, to add to Jacob's point, if you literally look at their schedule side by side, Duke and North Carolina have both played Gonzaga. Duke played them on a neutral side. Carolina played them in Carolina. Um, You look at Duke playing Kentucky on a neutral side. Um, and then Carolina played Kentucky on a neutral side as well. Carolina's also played Michigan. And so both these teams do get their battles early, and I think Carolina's had some constant battles. Um, and Carolina also is 9-1 nine and, nine and one on the road this year, um, period. They are road-tested, um, and, and that's a big thing. Like, they are undefeated in conference on the road. They are the only comp team in conference undefeated on the road, I'm pretty sure. May, I think Duke may be too as well. Um, and that is going to be so big for this team um, to get settled in. I, I'm going to say my prediction now. Um, I'm going to go, ju- and I'm going to be bipartial in this one. That's hard for me. Okay. Um, but I'm going to go with Duke by five. Um, I, think, wow. I think this game is toe-to-toe because they're two totally different contrast teams. And the way that they score, like Carolina has Kenny Williams, Cameron, um, Cam Johnson, um, Kobe White, and Luke May, who can all three shoot the ball very well and at a very high clip. And then you look at Duke, and they literally bully, bully you down low. And I just think that after a while, it could whoever will um, wears you down will wear you down, and I think that Duke will end up pulling it out. But I do think this will be a very tough game for Duke. This may be a tougher game than the Virginia game for them. So the interesting thing I find funny is the last few years, correct me if I'm wrong, Duke and North Carolina kind of can't win against each other on their home floor, but they'll beat each other on the opposing team's floor. Yes. Yes. That has been very true. Duke, uh, well, Carolina won the ACC title in 2016 um, on Duke's floor with Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page. And – then, but last year they did split their home, so both teams defended home court. But besides last year, it's been a trend to go into each other's house and beat each other, which is really cool. I think it adds some umph to the rivalry. In a well, way. that's that's a good point because, like, literally, you look at ticket prices for this game. Oh, they're Super Bowl prices. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's cheaper to get a nosebleed at the Super Bowl than it is to get a nosebleed for a regular season North Carolina Duke game. And I think that's what this series has been missing for the past few years. So is it's not a rivalry field. So, and I'll say this, and part of that, as much as we hate to admit it, and let me go in on this for a little bit, it's got to be the Zion effect. And what I mean by that is I know people hate it. It has turned into Zion Center on ESPN, but he hasn't asked for that. He, the guy's just incredible. So do you think, I mean, we could be seeing a once-in-a-generation player in Zion Williamson. Has that, I mean, this is kind of a dumb question because it's obvious. Has that had a huge effect on this rivalry game tonight? Um, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, it has to. I think every year because Duke has a top five pick, that person is so spotlighted. And tonight, the question will be on ESPN: How does North Carolina guard Zion? Do they put Garrison Brooks on him? Do they say Cam Johnson go guard him? Who's going to guard him? That's going to be the question. Mm-hmm. And so, and I just I think that Zion does have an effect. I don't think he's the only reason why the ticket prices have risen, but I do think he is a reason. Well, and I think another big thing, too, everyone overlooks this, but if you look at any of the mock drafts that have been done recently, uh, like Zion is only number four overall. And, of course, I I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, he's only the number four overall pick. Well, I'm the number three. Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite (laughs) obvious. Yeah. RJ (laughs) right now is mocked to go number one. So we're talking about another Duke player who's on the same court who a lot of people are saying has more NBA value than Zion even does. Really? People um, are saying that Zion's not going to go number one. Right. And wow. I've, I've seen mock drafts where they were putting Barrett over Zion. Now, and, and here's part of the reason why, and I'm going to ask you a question I want you to answer honestly. Maybe you looked it up. But if we were to just – if you were to look at all the coverage on Zion and look at his domination, how tall would you say that Zion Williamson is? Like literally just height-wise? Yeah, like how tall? I mean, he's got to be six five, right? So he does look small. He does look smaller than what they list him. In my opinion, right now he's listed at six six, which of course we all know that means that he's probably play. He's really about six five, maybe even six four and a half. Six four and a half. The yeah. issue is when you when you get into the NBA because what he's playing is almost like a four. I mean, he could play like a small forward, but you look at the small forwards that are in the game right now. You think of LeBron James, who's standing like 6'9", 6'10". You think of, you know, Kevin Durant, who is dang near seven feet tall. You know, the fact of the matter is Zion is undersized for the NBA. Um, Now, of course, you know, there there are the articles that come out that he – article came out today that he put on 100 pounds in two years in high school to make him bigger and stronger and something like that. But, I mean, it's it's just – and I say all that, though, I don't want to take away anything from Zion in that as far as an athlete, he is probably the most complete basketball player for what he is. Right. Well, and what do y'all think about the life. comment? What do y'all think about the comment Roy Williams came out and said this week of Zion is the most, like you just said, Jacob, the most complete basketball player that he's ever seen in college? I mean, that's pretty big uh, admiration coming from your rival yeah. coach. Well, he's right. Zion, nobody has stopped him this year. The Virginia, the team who puts their, you know, puts all, all of their chips on stopping you defensively. 
They had no answer for him. Right. So Zion is the real deal, in my opinion. And I was a skeptic at first. I thought he was just an Instagram player. I mean, we all know who they are. They oh, yeah. dunk, they do all that stuff. Seventh Woods was an Instagram player. Seventh Woods, backup point guard for UNC. But he doesn't translate. That's what I thought of him. And the dude is shooting 70-plus percent from the field. Um, and he takes great shots. He plays great defense. The guy does it all, and he brings an energy that is crazy. I think Roy Williams' comments were spot on about Zion. So, and you guys have been, like I said, North Carolina fans your whole life. You've seen some great moments. You've seen some also moments that have hurt you a lot. Mm. So, can y'all just take us where you were on that, uh, when Rivers hit that game-winning shot? Where were you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Do we want to even know? We probably don't want to know what happened. We probably don't want to know. I, I mean, it's it's certainly not PG. That's, that's <laughs> no. not the first thing. No, say. it ain't. That's not. That's for sure. And then I don't even want to get into the Villanova game. I mean, no. I you know if you people say going on emotional roller coasters and this and that and the next thing, you really don't understand what emotional roller coaster is until you see probably the most circus three point shot ever made. Um, <laughs> from Marcus Page, where he's trying to draw a foul. There is no foul, but he somehow double clutches a three-point shot, and, and it just goes right in. And you're like, we're going to overtime, and we're going to win this game. And then, yeah. you know, not five seconds later, you're looking, you know, at the fact that you lost the game by three. Um, and what made that game so hard, just watching it, and I'm not a fan of either, but how Villanova got off such a clean shot. It was so clean. I, I don't. I, I will never understand that. Why? How that shot was so clean? If you look at the replay of the play, because people always ask, me, what, "What were you thinking? How did it look to you?" Joel Berry goes for the steal on Ryan Archidiakono, he, and then he recovers, but a little late, and, and so it ends up becoming a double team. And Isaiah Hicks has to make the decision, and Archidiakono had killed us all game long that night. And Chris Jenkins, who had only had like four <laughs> points, I think, in the whole game, mm-hmm. is wide spank open. And when I'm not mistaken, it, it's he was good, like, but I'm like, if that's the guy taking the shot, then I'm good. We're going to OT, but he splashes it. <sighs> yeah, and I like, I, wasn't, he, wasn't he like over from the three point line before that, too? Yeah. Like, that was we his first three point three goal. So did that, did that loss make next year's redemption that much sweeter? Oh, I cried. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know, I no was doubt. I was hoping the Falcons could have. I was hoping the Falcons. Jacob, you talk about an emotional roller coaster. As an Atlanta fan, the twenty-eight to three. I I've never been so depressed in my life after a football game. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I I had students. You know, being a teacher, I had students like legitimately trying to report me to the school counselor because <laughs> I was like actually depressed. Um, so, so that would have made it. That, that <laughs> would have made the Falcons' loss that much sweeter if we could have made it back. Well, not sweeter, but re- redeemed it. If we could have made it back the year after. So at least as a North Carolina fan, you got that. Now you came up short the last few seasons, but yeah. let's let's be our closing segment. Let's kind of end it with this. What are your expectations for the Tar Heels the remainder of the season? Realistically, where do you think you guys can finish? Can you make a run in March? Where do you see yourselves, Alex? We'll start with you. This team is is a different team, right? 
Um, this team is not like the the team who won it, where they had Justin Jackson and they had the guys down low, Kenny Meeks and um, Isaiah Hicks and even Tony Bradley and Luke May. But this team's a little different. They they got a lot of guards. Brandon Robinson comes off the bench, plays well. Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, Colby White, um, Nazir Little. They, I mean, they got a lot of wing players on this team, and I, I really like this team if they defend well, if they cause turnovers, and if they don't turn over the ball. And right. when when they've played their best is in conference play, and that's what you want. And so I have to say this team's got a national championship ceiling. Uh, I'm going to go Elite Eight finish right now. Okay. Um, but I really do like this team. And if they get in a bracket with, uh, let's say they get their number one seed as Gonzaga, and and their number you know their number three seed is um, like Texas Tech or um, a Purdue or somebody like that. I think they match up well in those kind of regions because Walt Williams playing the small ball and having their tallest player be Cam Johnson on the floor at some point, it creates problems for a lot of teams. And they, I just I really like this team. I think they can go to the Elite Eight. I think if okay. they get the bracket. So Alex, we're, Alex is saying Elite Eight. Jacob, what are you thinking? How far can this team go? Yeah, man, uh, it, it's tough because watching this team throughout the season, you have games where it's like, dang it, this team could win it all. And then you have games where it's like, man, I don't know that they could have beat the middle school girls that I ref the other night. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's just it, – it depends on the night that you get them. But the one thing that stays consistent about Roy Williams' teams, whether it be at Kansas or North Carolina, is that they are always ready for the tournament. Um, right. And so one of those things I think moving forward is, uh, you know – it's developing those young guys. Uh, you know, you look at the point spread. No, we don't have a Zion. We don't have an R.J. Barrett. We don't have a guy who's going to go out and drop 30 every night. Um, you know, we have five or six players who are going to give you 10 to 15 every single night. And that's what North Carolina basketball is. Um, and so, and especially having uh, Nazir Little's minutes, you know, numbered a little bit and him not starting and playing big minutes, it's allowing him to develop yet get valuable game time against really, really good teams. So for this season, I, I mean, I don't see us bouncing before the Sweet 16. I think the Elite Eight is, uh, you know, to agree with Alex, is definitely a great pick. Um, you know, I think most certainly next season you'd be looking to make a Final Four or maybe even a national championship push uh, as all that talent wow. is developed. Okay. Well, fellas, how about uh, this is uh, – I'd say we do this if y'all are up for it. Maybe a quick five-minute little post-podcast right after the game's over just to get your get your initial thoughts just for five minutes if y'all are in. Yeah, man, we can do that. All right, oh, so, yeah. so all you listeners out there, we'll come back. We'll get Jacob and Alex back on the show and find out their initial reactions right after our game tonight. It'll be late, but you can hear it tomorrow, as I'm sure a lot of people are going to be up. Once again, the Zion effect, people just going to want to see what they do. Um, I think... Easily to say this might be the best rival in college basketball? Easily? Oh, that's why we're in sports. Yeah, I, it, it's got to be close. I mean, the you know, you think college football, you've got the Iron Bowls and stuff like that. But even even with that, if you're a basketball fan, there's no rivalry that matches Duke and North Carolina. I mean, it's something that just really even it, transcends. It, it kind of has a feel of the 80s Celtics and Lakers. It's yes. just that hated 
And the thing I can compare it to is, as an Atlanta fan, the Falcons and Saints, there's there's so much hatred between those two teams. But we're excited. Fellas, thank you all for coming on the show. We'll get you all back on after the game tonight. This is Premium Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Garrison. Until next time.